With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Initialize sequence now. Coming to you live from Houston, Texas, home to the world's largest medical center. This is Your Health First. The most beneficial health program on radio with Dr. Joe Galati. During the next hour, you'll learn about health, wellness, and the prevention of disease. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joe Galati. Well, a good Sunday to everybody. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Thanks for tuning in to this program that we call Your Health First, where our number one priority is to make you better consumers of health care. We've been doing it for quite a while, and we thoroughly enjoy having everybody join us on the radio. Now, if you want to get in touch with us, drjoegalati.com. Drjoegalati.com is our main website. From that point, you can learn about our practice, Liver Specialist of Texas, about our book, Eating Yourself Sick, radio program information, and the ability to sign up for our newsletter and send me an email, drjoegalati.com is our portal to communicate with all of us on the Your Health First team. Now, this first segment is going to be a little on the short side because on the line is Anahad O'Connor. He is a writer for the New York Times. He writes in the health and wellness section of the Times, and he's been on the program before. And he has had two articles that I really want to get into a little deeper than usual with him. Uh, One of them has to do with the role of dietary supplements. The other has to do with the simple fact of reducing your diet by about 300 calories a day will not only make you lose weight, but metabolically help with your cholesterol, blood pressure, blood sugar, and other long-term complications. But the, the supplement article that he wrote about a few weeks ago comes out very clearly to say, taking supplements, if you are thinking about taking them for heart health, have been scientifically shown to be essentially of no value. In order to give him as much time, we're going to cut this segment a little short. We're going to be coming up on a break and on hold is Anahad. Don't forget, drjoegalati.com. Check that out. We'll be right back with Anahad O'Connor. All right, everybody, welcome back uh, every Sunday night between 7 and 8 p.m. Your health first is where you need to be to become better consumers of health care. 
And on the line tonight, Anahad O'Connor, no stranger to the program, New York Times writer and uh, one of my favorite people when I look at the New York Times. Anahad, thanks for coming on again tonight. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Always great to be on. Well, you know, you uh, have, have written a number uh, I mean, I, I've always liked what you have written, but uh, the last, you know, month or so, there have been a couple of articles that you've written that really have caught my eye. But before we get into the details of the the articles, tell everybody if they haven't heard of you before, how long have you been with the Times, and how did you really get into writing about health and wellness for the uh, for the New York Times? Yeah, so I have been writing for the Times since uh, 2003. So it's been some time now. And I started off as a general science and health reporter covering a variety of issues. And I have always had an interest in health and nutrition in particular because Mm -hmm. it was a big um, interest and topic in my household growing up. My parents were vegetarians. They were into using supplements and juicing. They were sort of... uh, I guess you could say health nuts. And right. so, you know, they raised me as a vegetarian, and that just made me very, um, you know, conscious of, of what I eat. And I'm no longer a vegetarian. Okay. Um, but it was something where I was always just sort of brought up thinking about nutrition. So once I got to the Times and I was writing about science and health, I sort of eventually zeroed in more and more, and more on covering health and wellness and really looking at. Um, you know, these sort of lifestyle issues, obesity, chronic disease, right. um, diabetes, heart disease, and the impact of lifestyle and nutrition and exercise um, and ways that you can prevent some of these conditions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, this is, uh, you know, what, what we're seeing every day. Now, w- with with regard to the amount of writing that you have to do at the Times, do you uh, I don't want to say so much in your contract, but is there an understanding that you're going to uh, have a completed article once a week, three times a month? How how do you work with the editors, and what do they expect from someone like you? Yeah, so one of the things that I like about this job, you know, covering health for the Times, <clears throat> is that I don't have a quota uh-huh. when it comes to writing articles. Um, my editors and our readers, really, are more interested in quality rather than quantity. Uh, I think you see a, a lot of news outlets that are under a lot of pressure to you know, publish lots of health stories uh, every single day, mm-hmm. and so they're constantly covering you know, every you know, drip or drop of um, uh, you know, health research that comes right. out. And I think that is one of the reasons why there can be a lot of whiplash among the public. You know, one day a study says one thing, the next day a study says something else uh, about what foods you should be eating. Um, I try to focus on either writing about um, big, important, randomized, controlled um, trials, right. which are more, the most scientifically rigorous, and covering topics where I'm able to take a step back and sort of look at the body of literature as a whole so that we can maybe in some cases help to um, help people sort out their confusion about nutrition and health, which can be, you know, it can be very... Oh, it's daunting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it really is amazing. Now, when you have something that looks like an editor's meeting or sort of a topic meeting, are there 
topics that editors will throw out there and and tell you or you, you know your colleagues on the Times that boy we're getting a lot of traction on a certain topic and I had why don't you go ahead and look into that do you do you, um, you know is there a lot of uh, feedback from all of the online comments and does that steer a topic and then ultimately a, a feature uh, sometimes you know if we see that an article is drawing a lot of um, both popular or, or that a topic is drawing a lot of both popular and scientific interest then that's something where we may say you know we should you know we should we should do a story on this um, you know highlighting that this is right uh, a topic that's gaining a lot of uh, traction and you know most importantly talking to experts looking at the research and trying to give uh, readers you know an authoritative take on it you know uh, trying to explain you know what the evidence is right for you know whatever the, the question is uh, one way or the other um, so that is you know sometimes we'll we'll you know riff on something that's you know sort of a popular topic a lot of times you know for myself I uh-huh. tend to follow what's being published in the top medical journals because that's where you find you know um, you know a lot of the latest scientific evidence exactly um, but I do also look at what you know questions readers are sending and then we even have a a, a, a section, a recurring column called "Ask Well" you know, for our well, our wellness blog, where people can send in questions, and then we'll, you know, just devote a column to answering a question where we interview experts and seek out the studies and you know uh, what they say about it. Yeah, great. And la- last question before we dive into the articles: when when uh, you write an article and and there are these uh, comments, and and there are some articles that are just flooded, flooded with responses. Uh, do, do you, as the author, do you go in and, and scroll down and, and look at these, or do you have somebody on the staff that sort of edits it down and gives you a summary? How, how does that work? Uh, so usually um, it depends on the topic, but you know, if it's an article that's getting a lot of uh, traction and attention, I will go and, and scroll and see what the top comments are, what, you know, what people are saying about it, but I also get a lot of um, messages from people directly because people can click on my byline online and uh-huh. that will allow them to email me directly. So I get a lot of emails from people that way. Yeah. Yeah. It must also, because I look through these and if it's even, you know, the, the most mundane topic, innocent, uh, what people write in the comments, you have to look, and you're like, boy, oh, boy, what planet are these people coming from? That must drive you a <laughs> little, right? I mean, come on, you're being polite tonight, but there, there's some crazy people out there that write these comments. Absolutely. Uh, and I've said <laughs> that for a number of years, ever since I started writing for the Times. Um, you know, I think some of it is, uh, you know, you have to realize that it's a self-selecting group you know, that tends to right. publish comments that people who, you know, register and then go to the trouble of right. writing a comment. And I think it's sort of the same issue with, you know, Yelp. A lot of times if you go to a restaurant and you have a nice meal and you think, oh, that was pretty good, that was, that was great, I'm very satisfied and happy, you go home and, you know, you go back to the restaurant the next week, but you don't necessarily go on Yelp and write right. 
that was an amazing experience. But if you go to a restaurant and you have a, you know, a, an unusual or a bad experience, or you right. have like really you get food poisoning, you're more motivated. Yeah, you're more motivated to go, um, you know, on Yelp and and write about it and explain why you're upset about oh, it. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so I think you have to look at it as it's it's, it's uh, you know self-selecting uh, sort of. Yeah, it's not a true random right. sample. But yeah, there are people who um, who write in with a lot of passionate yeah. comments. And and with that with that said, let's let's get into the to the first article I want to uh, talk about tonight and it's uh, one you did um, uh, earlier in the month in July, supplements and diet for heart health show limited proof of benefit and a lot of people that probably rocked their world. Uh, and so give me the um, elevator pitch on what, what this article was all about. Yeah, so this was a really fascinating article. Um, well, the article was about a study that was pretty fascinating. It was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, one of the leading uh, oh, yeah. medical journals in the world. And the idea behind the article was, you know, this group of researchers that analyzes uh, the scientific evidence for different interventions, um, cardiovascular interventions, decided let's look and see what the evidence says about dietary supplements and dietary interventions for um, for heart disease. Uh-huh. And so they focused, um, you know, they called all of the randomized controlled trials on dietary supplements and on diet interventions for heart health. And essentially what they found was that there was really uh, no good evidence for any of the popular supplements that you know that, that they reviewed, there was no real scientific evidence that dietary supplements are going to benefit your cardiovascular your health. heart health. And, and and the study looked at sixteen popular supplements. Everybody knows what they are, and then eight different diets. And so this this really sort of, in a nice way, slammed the people taking supplements and the people following certain diets. Yeah, it was fascinating. So they, you know, they found that there were a few things that looked beneficial, but they all had important caveats. So with um, dietary supplements, they found that uh, there was some evidence that um, folic acid Mm -hmm. could be protective for heart health, but then they, you know, pointed out that most of the research came from countries like China, where the diet is deficient in folic acid, and so if you are eating a deficient uh, diet that's deficient in folic acid and you take a folic acid supplement, um, it makes sense to be protective, whereas in America, um, you know, we eat so many foods that are already um, fortified with folic acid, so it's not clear that taking folic acid on top of that is going to make any difference. Um, The other thing they found was that uh, fish oil... Um, omega-3 fatty acids right. looked protective, but the evidence was not particularly strong. There was a slight signal of benefit, but not enough to say, you know, this is conclusive. Uh, and then they also found evidence of harm. So they found that taking calcium uh, with vitamin D, which uh, has been, you know, a pretty popular regimen, they found that that could actually increase the risk of stroke. And it's not entirely clear why, but it seems like part of the reason is that this can increase uh, blood clotting and uh, calcification of the arteries. You know, now, do, do you think with this, and, and, and I read the article in Annals, I, I get it, it's, it's on my subscription list, and 
Mm-hmm. I I just wonder if the public is going to buy the conclusions here, uh, because I'm I'm sure you're well aware there are people that, um, you know the uh, as long as the sun is up, they're going to believe in these supplements, and it's a it's a billion dollar industry. What do you think? This is something that may move the needle on this. Um, you know, I tend to agree with you. I think. For some people who are unsure and who, you know, Google whether they should be taking uh, certain supplements, they may come across this information and be swayed. But there are a lot of people who, you know, live and die by their supplement right. regimens. And people are pretty passion, passionate about their dietary supplements. More than uh, at least one in two Americans, you know, uh, uses dietary supplements. As you said, it's a multi-billion dollar right. industry. And uh, this is an issue where I get a lot of emails um, in the past where I've you know, written articles examining you know, the scientific evidence on supplements and people will write in and, and say, you know, this is nonsense. You know, are you taking money from the drug industry? Right, of course <laughs> you are. It's <laughs> a conspiracy that it's just the pharmaceutical industry uh, trying to trash you know, their competitors and they think of supplements as as, as natural. Um, but yeah, so I'm not sure if it'll move the needle, but, you know, these scientists, you know, took a pretty objective look at the scientific evidence and they found that it was lacking, at least when it came to supplements for heart health. Right. And, and I think that the, the benefit of something like this and, and trying to move the needle, it's, I'm not naive that this is, uh, you know, trying to move uh, a pyramid uh, uh, by hand, but I, I, I believe that this article and and all of the the discussion about it would be best suited for when you go to your physician and you're on a, a shopping bag full of supplements and and the doctor can now talk to you to say you know what bob these probably are not going to help you they probably may hurt you and for these reasons let's stop it and i think then people will pretty much uh follow that lead but I think it's when people are not getting uh, good communication with their doctors that they go off the grid and start buying all this stuff. Mm, yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely the case. Yeah. Um, and I think you know maybe that is something that will move the needle. You know, doctors will see this and have these discussions with their patients. Um, I know in the past it was the case, and you could probably speak more to this that. Um, you know, when doctors see patients, they would ask them, you know, what medications they're taking and do a history, and most of the time would not even ask um, what supplements they're taking. Exactly. But now it's been a push to get doctors to, to ask patients what, uh, what medications are you taking and what supplements are you taking because, you know, these are bioactive substances that can... Um, you know, have side effects. Oh, oh, absolutely. I, I, I mean, probably a week does not go by that a patient comes and we ask about that. And, and uh, of course, they're taking something. But uh, what they always say is, but it's natural. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, that's where, uh, as I probably told you before, I, I say, look, a rattlesnake is natural, too. But you don't want that running around mm. the, the back yeah. of your car. Yeah, cyanide is natural. No, Absolutely. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking with Anna Head O'Connor with the New York Times. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com. We'll be right back after this break.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, everybody. Dr. Joe Galati on the line is Anna Hatt O'Connor from the New York Times. Well, the other, the other yeah. fascinating article that you wrote, and for those just tuning in, we're with Anna Hatt O'Connor with the New York Times. Um, cutting a, uh, a mere, I'm going to say a mere 300 calories, though. Mm. I think you found that it wasn't that easy to cut 300 calories. <laughs> shows a health benefit. And I think the overarching message here for everybody is that if you eat less you will probably do better from a health and wellness standpoint. So what, uh, what are we talking about here? Yeah, so this was a fascinating um, set of research here. Uh, it was based, uh, so I wrote about you know, these findings that came out of the calorie trial. Right, um, and I love that name, term. calorie trial. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the fun things about writing about yeah. science. You find that a lot of researchers come up with very creative acronyms for the trials clinical trials that they're leading, like Mr. Fit and Calorie, and, yeah. you know, all these cool, catchy uh, titles for the trials. But yeah, so this one, um, the idea behind it, uh, so it was a long-term study, and the idea behind it was that, you know, there's pretty much um, one uh, very reliable way to extend lifespan in mice and other animals uh, in labs, and that's to restrict the amount of calories they consume. If you reduce the amount of calories they consume, um, or, or they feed them by between 10 and 40 percent. It's a, been shown to be a fairly consistent way to extend their lifespan. And mm-hmm. so the idea behind the study was, you know, let's see if we can get uh, a bunch of adults to restrict their caloric intake and see if it has any impact on their uh, metabolic health. And in this study, um, it was interesting because, you know, most studies that look at caloric restriction involve people who are overweight or obese. Right. But the researchers in this case said we don't want to do that because we're not studying weight loss per se. We're just looking to see if there's something about uh, reducing food intake that can benefit even lean, uh, uh-huh. relatively healthy people. So they sought out, you know, uh, lean, relatively lean, healthy adults or, or people who are, you know, maybe slightly overweight, a few pounds, but not much more. It was really just to get a uh, a, a group of people that were sort of your average, relatively healthy-ish adults, uh-huh. and they then assigned them to restrict their calorie intake by 25%. Um, and it turned out that uh, that was kind of hard for people to do. Right. So some people were in the study were able to restrict their calories by 25%, but most were not. And on average, they found that people were able to remove or eliminate about 12% of their total calories, which for the average person is about 300 calories a day. And that's uh, the amount in a large bagel, uh, you know, a few cookies, or, you know, if you're someone who goes to Starbucks like I do, that would be essentially uh, equivalent to a mocha frappuccino, uh, a tall mocha frappuccino. (laughs) God. And and Uh, the amazing thing is the the people 
not too much of a, a surprise. They they lost weight. They had improvement in their cholesterol and blood pressure and dropped about 16 pounds. And so, uh, you know, one would think that, gee, if you lost weight, all of these other metabolic parameters should get better. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, these people did lose weight and they saw a lot of improvements in pretty much every metabolic marker that was measured, you know, their, their HDL cholesterol, their LDL, their blood sugar, their insulin levels, uh, you know, their waist circumference. Um, and, you know, like you said, because they lost weight, you know, that's not surprising. You tend to see when, when people lose weight that these uh, markers improve. But the extent to which these markers improved, uh, these metabolic markers uh, improved, was much greater than you would have predicted by their weight loss alone. Right. So that suggested to the researchers that the weight loss was part of it, but there was more to it. It was something else in addition to the weight loss that yeah. caused you yeah. know, uh, these metabolic markers to, to move so far in the right direction. Yeah, Pro- probably um, you know levels of inflammation and uh, insulin levels and things like that are, are, uh, are down. And I, I remember a study uh, back, to when I was in medical school, uh, it was sort of a part nutrition, part epidemiology, where they looked at some very, very poor uh, areas of Africa where there was basically starvation going on. There was no cancer in this population, and and they felt that starvation created a, a completely different environment in the body for the cancer cells not to survive. Uh, and that's a little bit of an extreme thing to say, okay, let's starve the world and we'll, we'll cure cancer. But I think this is sort of an extension of what we're seeing here. Cut the calories. It, it, it settles you down metabolically, and a lot of these things uh, uh, improve. Now, the, the last part to yeah. really comment well, on— I, One thing before, yeah. if you don't mind, I, sure. I think you raised such a great point. And there are now um, clinical trials, small clinical trials, looking at um, you know, putting— people who have cancer and who are undergoing chemotherapy on um, fasting yeah. protocol. So Walter Longo at the uh, USC, you know, he's studying, um, I think it's a, a group of patients with prostate cancer and a couple other cancers where the people are not at risk of uh, significant weight loss. Um, he's you know, putting these patients on fasting regimens uh, once a month to see if that has any impact on their cancer outcomes because, you know, as you said, there's research suggesting that uh, starvation can have an impact on, on uh, cancer. Oh, yeah. No, I think, I think this is a whole new era of, of research waiting to, uh, to happen. Now, the last, the last point before we, we've got to close up for tonight is the idea that they actually uh, insinuated that this was sort of tough to do, to cut out these 300 calories. Now, both as author of this article and, and sort of just, uh, uh, I'll, I'll call you a pseudo-health nut. I, I, you know, I know you, you're, you're very smart about things. Where, where, what do you take of this that, uh, you know, the average healthy 30-year-old may actually have a big challenge cutting out 300 calories? What, what's your take? Well, I think it can be hard uh, depending on how you approach it. If you say, well, I, you know, I eat 
you know, a certain amount of calories each day, and I've got to, you know, trim this amount. You know, I normally like to have a bag of potato chips for lunch, but I'm going to cut that out. I normally like to have chocolate chip, chip cookies, but I, I can't eat those anymore. Uh, if you, for a lot of people, you know, just try to flash 300 calories off the top of your diet, um, it might be hard to sustain if you lose out on some of the enjoyment. But I think there's an easier way to do it. Uh-huh. And I had this discussion with the lead author of the study, um, you know, who is a cardiologist who sees patients in the clinic. And I think one way to do that is um, with, with another uh, regimen that I've written about called time-restricted eating. Um, you know, this is basically a form of, I'd say a mild form of fasting where you're just sort of restricting um, the time window during the day uh, in which you eat because studies have shown that, uh, you know, when they track Americans and ask them to, you know, record, you know, basically every bite of food that they consume throughout the day, they find that most people are consuming calories from the moment they wake up, yeah. you know, when they have a cup of coffee with milk or a little sugar or tea or they grab a bite of a cookie or something or uh, to the moment that they pretty much go to sleep where right. they eat dinner and then, you know, they're having an after-dinner snack or a glass of wine or um, they found that Americans on average are eating about about 18 hours a day. Right. Um, and so they're not really giving their bodies much time to Di- properly digest the food, you know, they're not really giving their digestive org- uh, organs a break, uh, and we know that um, every organ in the body operates on a circadian rhythm, um, just like our brain. Right. You know, if we are if we are awake all day, then you know we experience brain fog and other um, you know symptoms of you know of, of disrupting our circadian rhythms. And the same you know happens with our organs, where our bodies are sort of primed. To take in food earlier in the day and then give our you know uh, bodies a break at night, and so I think one way to easily reduce 300 calories a night or a day is to um, do some sort of time restricted eating regimen, and that right. can be as simple as just eating dinner and then not having any snacks afterward. And I used to be someone who you know I'm a big snacker. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like to eat a lot of small meals throughout the day, and then I would eat dinner and then. You know, I'd go in the kitchen and grab a little something, right? Uh, some some nuts or you know whatever was at my fingertips, and I sort of trained myself to say, okay, I'm going to eat dinner, and then I'm not going to eat again until uh, the next morning. Um, and I have just I wasn't trying to, but I ended up losing a little bit of weight, and I ended up I think just reducing my caloric intake because I'm not constantly eating throughout the day. And so I think that's one way to do it is to you know, just, you know, um, have your breakfast, have your lunch, maybe a snack, your dinner, and then the kitchen is closed. Right. And, and you it, just eliminate, a, a, you know, probably 300 calories right there. Yeah. And, and extraneous snacks. Yeah. And, and, and I think the, 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 the top line here is you, you need that, that discipline and all too often uh, these kind of problems are thrown on you when you develop diabetes, heart disease, you have a heart attack or something like that. So I know the message that you're always putting out there and one that uh, that I try and, you know, I, I feel like we work together on this with so many other people. Act now, make the, make the adjustments now before it is too late. Well, Anahad, as always, gosh, we could, we could have you on for the whole hour. Thanks so much for taking the time tonight. I am sure you've got... Um, Several more articles we need to to talk at another time, but thanks very much for coming Mm -hmm. on.
Thanks so much for having me. Always a pleasure to talk. Love uh, the show. All right, Anna Head. All right, it is always great having Anna Head on. Don't forget, go to the NewYorkTimes.com, the well column where all of the health and wellness articles are posted, and you could find Anna Head O'Connor and all of his awesome articles. Final segment coming up. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com for information about the program, sign up for our newsletter, and send me an email. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Final segment of Your Health First on this Sunday evening, Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, go to drjogalati.com, drjogalati.com. Now, you may be sitting there saying, well, how, do you, how does this guy spell his name? G-A-L-A-T-I, Dr. Joe Galati. No spaces, no periods, just drjogalati.com. All right, final segment here. Hope you're having a good Sunday night and getting planned for the weekend. And, you know, for so many years, what I've been doing is we, we've always used Sunday night as the time to plan the week out. What are we eating? What are our activities? Looking at a calendar and, and planning, it would be around not only what we were doing, but what about eating? It's always very, very important that you have that plan for you, your family, your kids, and those that you care most about. In the final segment here, I found an article which was in the New York Times column in their health section in their phys ed area. And I, I would say if you are interested in health and wellness, this is a very nice column by Gretchen Reynolds. And it has to do with exercise and depression. Now, the slight twist here is this is a study that I don't think has, has really ever been done to this level. Now, there have been studies in the past that show exercise, one form or another, is good for your mood. Makes you a little happier. It doesn't make you as depressed. Maybe you sleep a little better. You tend to wake up a little bit more refreshed when you exercise. I think we all know this. But this particular study got into it way deeper. And it's pretty interesting. They get into this Mendelian randomization. And what they did was they went into a database of, I believe, 400,000 men and women. And we carry a little piece of genetic material 
that is encoded for whether or not you are at risk for depression and also whether you are going to be active or more sedentary. And so what they did was they looked at the people that had the more active gene and the depression gene, and lo and behold, they found that the people that were less depressed exercised more and vice versa. Now, there's still a lot of questions that one would have when you look at something to this grand scale. And what they found is that about 15 minutes a day is enough to reduce the chance of developing depression. Now, if you had less taxing exercise, let's say say housework, uh, walking fast, you needed about an hour to cut down and make a a dent in the depression. So for those that, you know, again, you're not going to go to the laboratory tomorrow and say, hey, test me, test my genes for depression or test my, test my genes if, if, if I should be more active or not. The bottom line is somehow we all need to carve out time a little every day for some vis- vigorous exercise. And there's so many ways to do that. Ride a bike, get a stationary bike, go running, get on a treadmill, do some workouts, play basketball, play a little tennis, play a little handball. There's so many things that we all could do and realize that it may have a definite impact on your depression. Now, the reason I brought this up and the reason it caught my eye, so many of my patients say or report that they are depressed. They just are not happy. They feel like they have the weight of the world on their shoulders. The glass is half empty, and I, and I do not understand why. I do talk with them, Now, I am not a psychiatrist, but I believe I need to take a few minutes and talk with my patients and try to understand what's going on, because if they're depressed, it's going to interfere with what I have to do with them. If they're depressed, they're not going to eat well. If they're depressed, they're probably not going to exercise. If they're depressed, they're less likely to follow up. And and so I do take tremendous interest in this. But so many people out there, many of you listening tonight, just feel that their life is just not right. They wish they were happier. And that's a, that's a, that's a tough nut to solve. But can we fix some of this with exercise and, and getting down to the, to the basics? I, I, I just don't know. So I think what you need to do is you have to be mindful with regard to not only what you're eating, and, and as I said at the very beginning of the program tonight, we have to get to a point where we are listening to our bodies. Are you getting these signals? Are you appreciating that little bit of abdominal pain or that pain in your leg, that pain in your neck, that pain in your side, the shortness of breath, the wheezing that you may be getting? And, and, and again, you don't want to become hypochondriacs, but you need to... Listen to what's going on. 
All right, we're going to close out for tonight. I'm going to pick a song that should make you a little happy as we as we go out of here tonight. I'm Dr. Joe Galati. Don't forget, to go to drjoegalati.com. We'll see you next Sunday night. Have a great week. Truly, I do mean that. Stay well now. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.